0: over towards the book of Job, chapter 6 and 7 this evening, as we just glance through that quickly, and we will give notes to you if you haven't gotten them already. Uh, The ushers are moving through the auditorium, just raise your hand to hand that to you. Uh, Those of you who are joining us this evening, we are doing on a Sunday mornings, we've been going through the book of Job and just explaining some of that. Rather than back up, let me just jump right into our study and continue, and hopefully you'll be able to catch up with us, understanding the book a little bit better. There's a story told about an individual who was working for a company, they were a photographer, for... <laughs> for a national news media, and uh, they were, there was this fire going on out west, and they wanted to be able to get close and get pictures and get some uh, photographs of it, but the smoke was now coming into that region, so they couldn't even get close to get some of those forest fire pictures that would want to be seen over national media. So what they did is they called their home office back on the East Coast, <coughs> and they mentioned, would it be possible if you could charter me a plane? Give me a small plane so that that pilot could fly me above the fire, and I can get some shots above the fire itself. And the home office thought it was a great idea. So they made the arrangements. They communicated back to the photographer. Here you need to go to such and such an airport. The plane will be waiting for you. So they hurried over to that airport and they jumped out of the car with their camera equipment. And they saw there was the plane. guy's inside. The door is partially open. Surely that's got to be my plane. They ran. They jumped into the plane and they say, let's go, let's go, let's go and the person who was sitting there behind the wheel said okay yeah let's go let's fly okay, we, i want to i want to get things to going and so they took off down the runway got off no problem and as the person was circling around the f- camera photographer said to him now listen i want you to fly north a little bit i want you to go on the totally circle the forest fire and then drop down to just a couple few thousand feet above it so that you know well, we can get a closer look and the person who was flying looked and said you want me to do what and they said, "I wanted you to fly." And they repeat it. And they said, "Why would you want me to go that close to the fire?" And they said, "Because I'm a photographer. As a photographer, I want to take the pictures." And the person behind the wheel, the the yeah, the wheel turned and said, "You're not my flying instructor." You sir. There's a guy who's driving along. As this guy is driving down the road, he sees a hitchhiker. He thought, well, I'll help out. I'll be gracious. And so he invited the hitchhiker to hop in. I'll take you down the road. And as he's going down the road, he's talking to the fellow. And he's thinking to himself, you know, this is a, a real stretch of my faith. Because hitchhikers, you know, there could be danger here. And then he's thinking to himself, wait a minute. Wait a minute. My coat's sitting here. My billfold's in my coat. And so I'll just tactfully and very subtly, I'll reach over and check my coat, and make sure my wallet's still there. And he reaches over, and the wallet is gone. Pulls over to the side of the row and says, I want you to get out. Give me my wallet and give me, give me the black wallet, he said, and get out. And the guy gave him the black wallet, got out. The fellow who was driving the car drove home, walks in the house, and he starts unloading on his wife about how I tried to help this guy out. And this guy did this, this, and as soon as he mentioned his wallet, his wife said, oh, I forgot. I found your wallet here this morning. You left it before you went. It wasn't the hitchhikers, you know, stealing it. He got the hitchhiker's wallet. There's a true story about a woman, she writes about this herself in an article, she's in an airport, and she's got a long delay, so she thought I would read my book, but uh, you know, I like to snack while I read books, so she went to one of those little expensive stores in the airports, got herself a bag of cookies, she went and got herself situated by one of those countertops where you can plug in your phone, and so she puts her stuff up here, she bends down, she's plugging her phone, she sits down, and she notices that her bag of cookies is out. And her bag of cookies is opened. And the guy next to her smiles at her and he takes one of the cookies. And she's going, the nerve of this guy. So she reaches over and grabs one and eats it looking at him. You know, as if daring you to take another one of my cookies. He reaches over, smiles at her and takes another one of the cookies. She turns and watches him while she's reading her book. He takes another cookie. She can't believe the gall. Should I say something? Shouldn't I? And this goes until there's one cookie left he looks at her, she looks at him, she reaches over, snatches it real quick, eats it, and then she walks away. She's getting in her plane, getting her seat, you know, and getting herself all situated, and as she's putting her stuff there, she's thinking, oh, wait, I I forgot, I put my book in the, you know, when I was getting on the plane, I want to pull it out of my purse, and when she opens up her purse and reaches down into the book, for the book, she realizes, there's my bag of cookies. It wasn't me. Or it wasn't being, t- you know, cookies being taken. It was I was taking that guy's cookies. Have you ever gotten yourself in a situation where you assumed something that totally wasn't true, and you responded to it? Well, here you have in the book of Job, you have. Eliphaz responding and beating up and assuming the worst about Job. We looked at it this morning where he makes all these comments and all these sarcastic remarks. He's Eliphaz the elephant, as we called him this morning. How he stomps all over Job. Now in the next two chapters, that Job is going to Job is going to respond. It's the first of those conversations, and Job now is going to talk about and he's going to explain himself. He starts off. Okay. And by the way, let me let me just just to. Uh, express myself personally on a personal note. What I'm trying to do now in this series is, I don't want to be bogged down in it, but I want to give you a sense so that when you read the book in the future and as you study it on your own, you have a sense of the flow of the book. So sometimes we'll, we'll look at some verses in depth but sometimes we'll just gloss through them. May I encourage you to do something? I have found this to be extremely helpful in the last well, a couple months going through and reading the book. And I've tried to been reading the book at least several times every week in its entirety. I'm going to encourage you to do something. Get several different English translations and read Job. Because it's poetic, it is really hard to get it. And because the difference in the different English translations, it would behoove you, it would help you to read several different types of translations. And you can think, say all you want about t- different translations, but for the most part, there isn't manuscript debate over the Old Testament and the Book of Job. That's just that doesn't happen. It's more in the New Testament. So get a decent translation. Look at it from two or three different translations. That should help you to be able to get the gist of it because it's poetry. And sometimes different people have a different idea. What was the poetic word that could be used? Multiple translations helps. So we're, I'm using, and I'm sitting here with my King James uh, this evening. So let me just walk you through. And some of you will have different wording, which is okay. But we'll get the gist of it. The first part of the chapter 6 in his response, what happens is Job starts off and he answers. And he says, and look at verses 2, 3, 4, 5. He is going to say to him, he is going to say, the reason I said what I did... And he's going to give, because Eliphaz said you spoke, uh, you weren't right in what you said. And Job's going to say, okay, let me me tell you where I'm coming from. And remember in chapter 3, Job was very, very dark in his comments. He was saying, I want to die, I want to die. But the one thing I fear is that I'm away from the Lord and I don't know why God is against me. I don't know of any sin that I have done, but I'm in a miserable state. And Eliphaz has said, oh, you shouldn't have said that. The reality is you've sinned. Job's going to respond, so no, no, here's the reality. The reality is I am really burdened. My struggles are as as heavy in my heart as if you took a whole pile of wet sand and you weighed it. Now, the words are very clear. He's saying that that you take wet sand and you weigh it, it's going to weigh a whole lot more than regular sand that's blowing in the desert. And so here he is, a desert desert, uh, nomadic type of a man who's living there, and he's talking about how the ocean sand is so heavy. That's the way my burdens are. He's going to make a comment, and the King James doesn't clearly state it as well as other translations. For now, he says, the heavier than than the sand are my trials. And he says, therefore, my words are rash. I have spoken words that have sounded uh, harsh. I have spoken words that would make somebody want to choke. You know, or me, choke on my words. And so he says, well, I admit that what I said may have, been, may have been abrupt. And what I said may have been sounding really, really you know, antagonistic towards the Lord. But he said they were rash, they were impetuous words. But I said them just because this is my heart. And then he goes on, he says, here's what I think. I feel as if God is attacking me. I feel that God is, God is shooting poisonous arrows at me, and they keep on coming, almost like a gatling gun of arrows that are pouring against me, he says, and I, and I don't understand why. But all those trials, and by the way, you understand why he is saying that God has just kept on, kept on, kept on shooting me. There was the robberies. There was the, the fire that came down. There was again another band of invaders. There was the loss of his children. There was all of a sudden his illness. And so it just one after another, after another, after another. Remember the, what we read in Job chapter 1 and we reminded ourselves this morning. As that servant spoke, somebody else came up and gave another tragedy that, affi- that afflicted Job. And so he says these are just happening in a, in a very speedy fashion. And he says they're arrayed against me. They're coming in great numbers against me and I feel like you know that that God is angry with me for what reason i don 't know, and if I sounded like I was really complaining, he goes on and he uses some analogy from the animal world. He said, the only reason that the uh, the donkey will make noise. And all of a sudden, Bray all out loud, is the donkey is hungry. He's not satisfied. Things are not right. The only reason that the ox will start bellowing is because the ox has a need and he's in something's discomfort. Something's wrong. They're hungry or, or they're in pain. And so those animals make noise. I'm like those animals. I'm making noise because I don't feel satisfied. I don't feel like I'm in a manger and everything is peaceful. And so he goes on after he makes those comments in verse 5 and 6... About the braying of the animals, explaining why he said what he did, because I'm hurting. He says in verse, the end of verse six, he says, "Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? The things that my soul refused to touch now are sorrowful that I might have this one request." And he he basically is going to now shift in saying, "I'm going to here here's where I'm at." I, I'm like an animal that's hurting or an animal that's hungry. I, I, am, I am not satisfied with things that are going on. It's like I'm eating the whites of the eggs without salt and there's no savor. Everything in my life feels tasteless right now. In fact, he's going to make a comment. He says, all the foods around me, they are loathsome. They're like putrid meat. They are like spoiled meat. I don't have an appetite and it feels like nothing is satisfying in my life right now just because, and you, some of you been there. In the middle of a trial, in the middle of a death, in the middle of cancer, in the middle of a disease, in the middle of something, a problem with your kids, you don't eat. You, You don't feel like a peace that is overwhelming. Your nights are disturbed. That's what Job is saying I'm going through. That's why I said what I said. You fellas, you're sitting here, you three men who are great that you came and sat, but everything's going well with your life. Your bank accounts are good. Your, your bellies are full. I don't feel that way, and, I just, and I'm struggling, and I don't understand why God is doing this to me. Why, and again, Job thinks God is angry with him. He doesn't understand. And so then he goes on and he says, In, in fact those sufferings that are heavy like sand, that are making me be like an animal, loud in my braying or my bellowing. He said, those things have made me come to a point where, it's true, you may, you may think I'm a weak Christian, but Job isn't pretending here. He isn't trying to be something to everybody else around that says, everything's fine, everything's fine, but I really feel miserable. He is saying, guys, you're my friends. I'm speaking honestly with you. Where I feel like I feel like, I need an end to this suffering, like I said before in chapter 3. He goes on, he says, I wish God would grant me my request. I wish that my life would end, because then I'd have some peace. I wish that God would loose me. He uses a term, if you look in the, in the passage, he says, if God would loose me, it is the idea of freeing a prisoner. He feels like he's a prisoner in his trials. If God would just, and he uses the word, cut me off. It's the idea of severing the thread. It's a weaving term. And he says, if he would just cut me off so that I would be done with all of the chaos of the weaving of life. And he makes the final comment. He says, now, and this is an important comment in the middle of He says, I, now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not willing to, to uh, and I'm not at a point where I want to deny the Lord. That's where he, he makes this comment if we jump down. He says uh, in verse 9, oh, oh, that he would loose his hand, that he would cut me off. Then should I have com- comfort. Yea, I would harden myself in my sorrow, but let not spare. For I have not concealed, I have not denied. I have not hidden, I have not put off is the Hebrew word. It's not, I've, it's not the idea of concealed like English. Okay, that's unfortunate. After the years, the word concealed has changed over, English, over the years in English. The c- word concealed means I have not rejected the word of the Lord. I have not put it away from me. I've not hidden it or put it in a closet and forgotten about it. He says, I'm still trying to follow the Lord, but this is where I'm at. I am really in pain. I come to a point where he says, I don't feel like I have any strength left. Look at how he makes that comment. What is my strength, verse 11, that I should hope? What is my end that I should prolong my life? Is my strength the strength of boulders and stones? Is my flesh, my muscles, are they like brass? He says, is my help coming from within me? Is wisdom driven quite from me? He says, "I, I just feel totally exhausted. I don't feel like you look at me and people might say, oh, you're so strong. You're so mighty and you're handling, you're handling a death the right way and you're handling this. He says, I don't feel like that. I'm not pretending with you. I feel weak. I feel like I don't know what's coming next. I feel like I don't know what to do. I feel like I don't have any answers. Now again, Job is not suicidal. He is not seeking in an active way to take his life. But he is just simply saying death would be a comfort to me. Death would help me to escape these problems. And again, I'm going to make this comment. Some of us have, we say it in different terms. It would be so nice to be raptured and get out of the mess that I'm in. We say that, and it would be. Okay? Or some of you have gone through some great trials, you have thought... You know, you're cautious in maybe not saying it in a public venue like this because it's not right to say that. But you actually feel like, Lord, I wish you'd take me home. This situation is just so exhausting. If you took me home, everything would be okay. I'd be with you. The problem, would, that's what Job is saying. And he's sharing that with his friends. And he is simply expressing the idea that he sees And again, he doesn't have the concept you have. He doesn't know rapture. He doesn't know, you know, Jesus Christ and the heaven. He just knows if I pass away, I'm going to go to the grave and I'll be there until one day that God resurrects me. But even in the grave, I'd have some peace. That's what Job is looking at. And so Job then continues on. And after he says his heart, he turns to the friends and he basically says to them, guys, let me be frank with you. I'm disappointed in you. I'm disappointed in your, what you're telling me. I'm disappointed how you treat me. Watch how he begins this, this section. He says, To him that is afflicted, you would expect pity would be shown by the friends. That's verse 14. He said, But you know, those friends have forsaken the fear of God. They have come and condemned me. He's talking about Eliphaz. What Eliphaz, what we looked at, Eliphaz says this morning. And he goes on, My brethren have dealt deceitfully as a brook. As a stream of brooks they pass by, which are blackish by reason of the ice and wherein the snow is hid. What time they wax warm, they vanish. When it is hot, they are consumed out of their place. The caravans, or the paths, of their way are turned aside. They go to nothing and perish. The troops of Tema looked, and the companies of Sheba waited for them. But they were confounded because they had hope, and they come thither, and they're ashamed. For now you are nothing. Hold it, hold it. Wayne, what does that mean? What is the, all those, that phraseology? Where, where is he going? What he's doing is, he's made the comment, if you were my real friends, and I know that you sat here and you were seven days quiet, and that's great, that's wonderful, but I would have expected that somebody who is as beaten down as I am that you would be a little bit, you know, somewhat empathetic. But you're not. You're judgmental. And you're being, and remember this morning I told you that Eliphaz is the kindest of them, and yet he is sharp with Job as we saw this morning. And Job says, you guys are acting as if you don't fear God, that you can just come in and be a judge over other people, that you can just condemn people so quickly and assume the worst and act like you know all the answers, that you don't, you don't fear God. That's what he said. And then he says, you fellows are as deceitful as a desert wadi. A desert wadi, and to put that whole section into perspective is this, that in the desert there would be these brooks that comes springtime the mountain ice has melted It would come down and it would get into these brooks these streams, these, these riverbeds and it would be dark and it would be you know, really refreshing and it would flow through there for a period of time but then as the summer and the, the season moves on all of a sudden the climate changes and the wadis become a dried up brook but next to those wadis might still be some of the green trees that grew in the early part of the season and so people who are traveling from Tima and Sheba those are caravan routes of those ancient days. Those caravans would go out, and if they needed water, what would they look for? Well, they couldn't see you know, down, in, down into low area, but they would look for trees. They would look for shrubbery, because where you see a grove of trees, you expect to find water. But now that it's late in the season, they would come up, and they would find it's dried up. All they have is dirt and sand, and it's deceived them. It's looked one way, but really it has no refreshing to it. It has no sustenance that we need. And then what happened, and there is some records in ancient cultures about some caravans that were lost in the desert, lost to the heat, lost to the climate, lost to the rugged area. That's what he's talking about. The paths are literally, in the Hebrew, the caravans, those who followed paths, that they are consumed. They're gone. They're destroyed. And he says, that's what you guys are to me. You come and you look good, you sat for seven days, but you, you provide no refreshing. You're like a dried up wadi. You give me nothing I need. You are deceitful, you are unkind, you are rude to me. And he's making that analogy, that caravan, that that, that, that comment to them because of their harshness to him. And remember, God will again, now if you're saying, yeah, but those guys came, we should give them benefit of coming, and we do, but remember in Job 42, God rebukes Eliphaz and the others because what they said was wrong. We looked at it this morning. And so Job knows that much. And so Job says, you fellas, you, you, you're not helping me. You're not helping me. I'm glad you're here, but you're really not a benefit. You're basically, you're providing me dirt to drink. Then he goes on, he makes some other comments, okay? He says that I'm disappointed in you because you're acting, look at verse 21, you're acting as you see my calamity as if you're afraid. What I guess he's going is he's looking at them and it's almost as if you fellows want to, you're here, but you don't want to touch me. You know, there's an interesting concept in the ministry of Jesus Christ, we've been talking about it Wednesday nights, that frequently when people were in tragic situations, the author of of Mark frequently talks about how Jesus touched them, how Jesus reached out to them. Jesus wasn't afraid to touch a leper, a dead person, somebody who was terribly, terribly um, overcome by their disease. Because what is the reaction of most people physically when they see somebody who is you know, covered with disease? We get back? We stand back. But there's that gospel emphasis how Jesus reached out. He was more. It seems that Job is saying you guys are sitting here but you're sitting where probably? Yeah. Fire chair over. As if you're afraid that if you get too close to me, you're going to catch what I got. As if you're afraid. You you think God is, we'll we'll understand this. You think God is striking me with lightning, so where do you want to be? Way over here, so you don't get struck by the lightning. He says, that's the way you're treating me. I can see it, I can sense it, I can feel it, it's happening. And, and and guys, have I asked too much of you? Did I ask you to do something? Look at verses twenty two and twenty three. Did I ask you for a bribe? Did I ask you to do something unethical? Did I ask you to go way out of my way to try to pay off my creditors that I can't pay anymore? Did I ask you to physically defend me, to try to go and get my, get my, my um, goats, my sheep, my, my camels? Did, did I ask you to do something for me? He says, no, no, I didn't ask too much of you. In fact, you know, he didn't ask anything, but they come and he's saying, but you're treating me as if I'm a burden. I'm not impressed by you coming and just sitting here and busting on me. And I have that sense of a disappointment. Then he goes on in the chapter, and again, uh, the flow of the chapter, this is what the chapter is, okay? How we make sense of it, we'll, we'll see if we can do a little bit of it towards the end. But then the next section, Job continues this conversation, and he says, guys, if you really want to help me out, if you're here, and if you really want to snuggle a little bit closer and not be afraid you're going to catch what I've got, if, if you really want to, I'm, I'm going to tell you, okay? I want you, you know. I want you to tell me and we will have a real conversation. Do this for me. If you really want to help me out, teach me and I will hold my tongue. Cause me to understand where I have done something wrong. Tell me, tell me you, you, I'm, I'm listening. Tell me if you can tell me where I have gotten astray and there's quiet, there's silence. They can't tell him what he's done wrong. They're just convinced he's done wrong. But they don't know. They've, they've falsely assumed. He says, please tell me, you are treating me like I, I, I'm really like, I, like I'm a, I'm an orphan. An orphan that is basically of no value, no benefit to you. Yes, there's, you, know, you can help out and you can have a charitable duty of helping to provide some food for the orphan, but you don't want to be bothered. You're here doing your charitable duty, but really you don't want to be invested in me. It's kind of like where you and I do this at times to others, or others do it to you. We walk up and say, "How you doing?" And when they start telling us, "I didn't mean for you to tell me. I really didn't want to hear because I'm busy." He says, "That's the way you're you're dealing with me. You're kind of pacifying your own conscience." that you have done something charitable with the orphan, where in reality, you're kind of like Joseph's brothers. You're digging a pit for me. You're not helping me out. You're causing a snare here. And so he says, but but I would listen. And he says, so please, please look at me, look at me, look at me. Tell me, look at me. Now therefore, be content. Look upon me. It's evident. I'm not lying to you. I'm not, I, I, Tell me what I have done. Please, please don't divert your eyes from me. Please don't, don't be disgusted by my appearance. Please give me an eyeball-to-eyeball eyeball conversation. You tell me what I have done wrong. I am more than willing. I, I, I'm telling you the truth. All I ask is if you be honest with me. If you know what I have done wrong, tell me. You all say that I've done wrong, but is there iniquity in my tongue? Is there something that I've done wrong? Then Job continues his conversation into chapter 7. It's a continuation. If your Bible doesn't mark it, mark it. That chapter 6 and 7 is a continuation of his conversation. That Job continues to speak. And what happens in chapter 7? There's a shift. This time he is speaking more to God. He is now lifting up his eyes, lifting up his voice, and he's speaking about, God, let me talk to you. And my friends will kinda of listen in on my prayer. And what he does now in this next few verses, he says, God, and he goes right back to the same thing, God, I'm gonna tell you, I struggle. I am I am really, really being afflicted here. And he shares his pain. And the word that we're gonna use is he laments. He isn't complaining. He isn't being bitter towards God. He is just saying like, like Jeremiah did. He is just saying like Moses did at times. He is just saying like the Apostle Paul did at times. Where he says, Lord, please... Remove this this thorn of flesh, that buffets my flesh. He is like David where David just says, I am overwhelmed throughout the Psalms. Lord, I don't understand. I just don't understand. And they share their heart authentically with the Lord. They are not pretending to be something that they're not before God Almighty. They are not pretending that everything is okay. They don't understand and they're just saying, God, this is where I'm at. And you know, the irony of that is, you know, we say we should be open with the Lord and just tell him the way it is with us as far as how we 're struggling or how we 're feeling with reverence and with respect, but sometimes we don 't speak that way to the Lord as if you know god i'm i 'm not going to tell you exactly how I feel as if you don 't know as if god doesn 't uh, you know, doesn 't understand where our heart really is, and so in order to become strong, what do we have to do when I am Weak, then I am strengthened. Biblical principle. But sometimes we aren't even we aren't even willing to be weak before God and to say, God, I need you. God, I, I I I crave what you have. I feel like I can't go on. Only then can I do all things through Christ when I stop pretending with the Lord. But Job is not pretending. Job is saying, I'm going to tell you God exactly, and he he's just speaking to God and saying, God, this is my weakness. This is how I feel. And he's pouring out his heart to the Lord. That's lamenting. That's authentic in in this response. So here's where Job goes. As you start reading through this chapter, you're going to see him saying to God, here's the way I feel. And he lists several different um, life experiences, situations around him that he's lived through. He says, God, this is what I feel. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm a field worker who is doing hard labor. You know, that, that all I get is I've got to be breaking the stones. I've got to be breaking up the fallow ground. I've got to be watching those sheep. And that's all there is to life anymore is just watching sheep, watching the oxen, working for somebody else. And there's, there's nothing there. I feel like the servant who all he has in life is he's going to be serving somebody else. He's never going to be able to have and enjoy any of the pleasures he's just his whole purpose of life is to keep somebody else served and so he doesn't have a hope. He doesn't have a future. It's just like this dismal existence says I'm kind of feeling that way. I feel like the one who who has worked hard and he's not getting paid his wages that he feels like, you know, he's just being abused. He says, I feel like an individual who is just beaten down. And he's saying, he's saying God, this is, the, this is the way I feel. This is, and he's using those analogies. And he says, God, this has been going on for weeks now. This is happening to me in verse 6. My days are swifter than the weaver shuttle, he goes on. Uh, I'm sorry, I want to back up a little bit more. Where he talks about, I'm, uh, I, in verse 3, so I am made to possess months of this, the wearisome of nights. And he talks about when I lay down, when I rise up, the night be gone. I'm full of tossings to and fro. I don't even sleep. He says, my nights have become miserable. I don't get a full night's rest. I need to rest because I'm sick. But then when I lay down to rest, I can't rest. Because my mind is running actively with my losses, and he says, and this is just this is this is becoming wearing me out, and, and my body's worn out. I'm covered with worms. My skin is dirty. My skin feels calloused, and all. And he says, it's just, the, Lord, my days have become like a weaver's shuttle. He says, it's just the same thing, the same thing, the same thing. L- let me bring a modern day illustration. Lord, my days are like the windshield wipers in a rainstorm, and I'm going down the highway and it's late at night and it's just wearing me out and I'm looking and I'm saying am I ever going to get there I've got five miles to go but those five miles feel like 500 and he says that's, that's the way I feel God I just before you and Lord here's what I feel like would be a good thing and he returns to that same thought he says remember that my life is like a wind it comes mine eye shall see no more good that's the way I feel there's never going to be any good in my life the eye of him that sees me shall see me no more Thine eyes are upon me, and I'm not. The cloud is consumed, vanishes away, so that it goeth down to the grave, and he shall return no more to his house. Therefore, I will not refrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my my spirit. I will complain of the bitterness of my soul. Lord, I just feel like there's no hope anymore. I don't see a light at the end of the tunnel. Then he goes on, he makes this comment. He says, Lord, I'm telling you, this is how I'm struggling. I'm being authentic. And God, I kind of feel like you're treating me like those mythical monsters. That's where he talks in the next verses. He talks about the sea monsters. He's referring to some old Ugaritic or Babylonian stories, mythology, where these demigods in both of those in both of those. Uh, ancient worlds they had universal floods take place and the demigods the half god half human characters who are heroes they captured some sea monsters and they put whether it be a kraken or something like that and they put them in caves and they couldn't get out now Job says I feel like that sea monster that's put in a cave and I can't get out he is not saying oh those things were true he is just using a fable that he's heard and he's using it as an illustration. I feel like, and he, he just gives, you know, gives that story like, you know, whatever. You, t- you take an illustration, you take some story, you feel like Humpty Dumpty some days, okay? It doesn't mean that you believe Humpty Dumpty was real, but you say, I feel like Humpty Dumpty who's broken and nobody can put me together again. That's all he's saying. But he's using the mythology of that day, so that's what those verses are referring to. And he's just talking, continues on, and he says, God, um, I feel like, you know, even when I go to sleep and I need my rest, I don't get my rest because terrifying dreams come. They wake me up. I have nightmares. I have nightmares of the the tornado taking my kid's life. I have nightmares of all the tragedy, and I can't even get the rest that I need. And he says, so I would at this point, I would choose, you know, if it happened to me, if all of a sudden, you know, if all of a sudden I choked. And I couldn't breathe anymore. If all of a sudden, you know, something happened where death, okay, that would be my relief. And I know this is a very dismal, dark comments that he's making. But he says, you know, this is the way I'm at. And then he makes a comment. It's interesting, and it, and it doesn't make sense to us until we, you know, give an analogy. He goes on, he says, my, chew, my soul would choose that strangling. I loathe, I would not live always, let me alone Please take away these battles for my days are vanity. What is man that you should should magnify him and that you would set your heart upon him that you would visit him every morning and try him every morning. Lord, I don't understand why you keep on afflicting me. I don't understand the trials. I don't understand why you're against me. And it just seems like it keeps on coming. If God, if God, if you would just give me a momentary break. That's where he makes this comment. How long will this evil not depart? Let me alone till I swallow my spit. Now, <laughs> you go what let's phrase it now that's an old testament old ancient new eastern expression that is similar same thing but different than what we use sometimes we say things were coming at me so fast i didn't even have time to catch my that's what he's doing things were coming at me so fast i didn't even feel like i had time to swallow my spit and he says you know relief please some relief so after he said all this, and after he's saying, God, I'm overwhelmed. I'm just overwhelmed. That's where he's at. And he says, I don't think I can take much more. Then he makes another comment. And all of this leads up to, here's where he maintains righteousness. This is where he is still godly in all of this. He shares his greatest desire at the very end of the chapter. He says, God, again, let's go back to where we were several weeks ago when we started this and where we were this morning. What is Job's greatest fear? He says, the thing that I feared the most, it's come upon me. What was that? It wasn't an illness. It wasn't losing his kids. It was he thinks that God and he are, they're separated. He thinks he has broken fellowship with God in some way, somehow. He doesn't know that. He he says, it's not me, but somehow, some reason, God, you have turned against me. That's my greatest fear, that God would turn against me. So now, keeping in mind his greatest fear that he and God would not be like this anymore, here's where he ends up again at that same spot, where in verse 20 he makes this comment. If, by the way, in your Hebrew, it is not I have sinned, it is if conditional. If I have sinned, what shall I do, preserver of men? Why have you set me as a mark against thee so that I am a burden to myself? Why do you not pardon my transgression if I have sinned? Why not take away my iniquity? In other words, Lord, I don't know of anything I've done wrong. I don't know why I am suffering all these trials. And he doesn't. But God, if there is something that has broken our fellowship, if there is something that I I don't know, then please... Please, please forgive me of it. Do you follow where this man is at? This is righteousness. Righteousness is desiring that you maintain a fellowship with God. How often? All the time. All the time. And Lord, if there is something that I have done to offend you, please forgive me. Please. And and he's fessed up as far as he knows, but he is expressing this same idea. He says, if these guys, if if it's true, I don't think it's true, but if I've sinned, then please forgive me of it. Let me know what I have done wrong. Let me know why you have turned against me, because that's what he thinks is happening, and forgive me. Please forgive me. In other words, here's where this man is. He wants to know that he is in close communion with God. And he says, God, I will do whatever it takes on my part to restore the close fellowship with you because that's what I want. I want to be able to lay down my head at night and say, it is well with my soul. I want to be able to say nothing between my Lord and my Savior. I want to be able to say, search me, O God, and know my heart. That's where Job's at. That's that's his answer. Please, God, let me be close to you. Now, we don't want to assume the wrong things like others have done. And Job is not assuming the wrong thing. He is trying to be very authentic. And what Job provides for us is some important lessons. Let's remind ourselves life can be painful and overwhelming even for a believer. That's a reality. Righteous people may have trials. We often know this, that other people will disappoint us. We mentioned this this morning. Do not react. Do not uh, get mad at those people or at the Lord because of it. But even then, when life is overwhelming us, even then when others don't express kindness, do what Job did, I have not denied the Lord. In the midst of this, I have determined I will not deny the Lord. Make sure you you do not sin against God. Let's add another thought here. We need always to remain open to sound, godly advice. Job, even though he disagrees and doesn't understand where they're coming from, but if you guys can tell me, if you, I, I, I will keep my tongue. I, I think you're coming from the wrong basis, but if you have some truth that I have done wrong, please, I will be humble enough to be taught. We need to be, be open to godly counsel. We need to be open to be able to say, God, you know, show me we can and should be open and honest with god if we're going to have god strengthen us we must be able to say to the lord here's my weaknesses this is why i need you and by the way let's just lay it out there for for what it is we don't run to the lord if we feel comfortable and confident job is portraying for us that righteousness at times doesn't feel mighty and self-confident it feels broken it feels humbled it feels like lord i need you and i really do because i can't handle it anymore that's where god is able to work with him but here's let's wrap up because communion is so important this just brings us together our greatest concern in life should be what that's where Job ends up the greatest concern in our life should be being right with god being right with god my greatest concern is being right with God. No matter if I'm in the middle of a trial, no matter if I'm sitting in the, with a huge bank account have the 10 kids and everything is going great and all the crops and the, and the horses, everything is fine, or if all of it is gone, I need to be right with God. That's, my, that's Job's greatest fear, not to be right with God and God turn against him. And he shows us by his example how to maintain integrity and rightness with God, live a godly life, desire unbroken fellowship that you're worshiping on a regular basis like job did he prayed in chapter one time and time again even for his kids wanting to make sure that you're forgiven that you are right with him god please forgive me forgive my iniquity forgive me god don't hide it don't harbor it and making sure that you're fessed up that you are that to the best of your knowledge now we're coming to communion isn't this appropriate for communion where we're celebrating our fellowship with God Almighty, what God has done for us and in us, that we say, God, I want to make sure that everything's right between you and me. Everything's got to be right. That's where Job is at. There's a true account that comes out of, out of the sports world, and many of you know who I'm talking about, Tony John Dungy, that uh, he was, at one time, he was uh, the, co- the uh, coach, head coach of the Colts when they won their Super Bowl. And you probably know his story. Now, he's a born-again man, And you probably know that a few years back that one of his sons took his own life. And he went through tragedy. Well, a couple years after that, he was speaking at a men's conference there in Indianapolis, a group of Christians, and he was sharing with them how that was so hard for his family. But they just had to trust the Lord. And then he relayed that, that many people didn't know that he has another boy in the household. That his youngest son has a rare disease. His youngest son has a disease that he doesn't feel pain. And he illustrated in that conference how as a young boy, when mom isn't looking, at that time he was five years old, he loved cookies, just loved cookies. And in his mind, if a cold cookie is really good, then one that's in the oven is even better. But because he can't feel pain, if mom wasn't watching him, he would run up, open up the oven, grab the cookie, the sheet cake, uh, yeah. yeah, you know what I mean. He'd pull it out, and he'd start pulling the cookies off. But what would he do to his hands? But he couldn't feel it. And Tony Junji made this analogy. He said, you know, the son, they have to watch him, they have to help him, they have to, you know, deal with his pain at times. And more and more, their relationship is one that through his, his son's inability. The, you know, they're, it's creating difficulties for their family, but they're, they're following and seeing what God would do. But he made this conclusion he said, pain is good for us pain is not always bad. Pain is something that will help us to understand what could be harmful. Pain that sometimes drives us to where we need to run, away from dangers, close to the parent for guidance. And Dungy concluded by saying, guys, the pain that I felt with my son's suicide was a real blessing in my life. Not that I don't miss my son, but he went on, he said, That pain helped me to draw closer to the Lord. That pain is what Job is saying was good for him, and that will be our conclusion. But as he went through the pain, he wanted to make sure he was right with God, right with God, right with God, right with God. Do you have that desire tonight?